Hello, I am Rosemary Adamson with the ATS section on Medical Education Podcasts. This is the fourth and final in a series on the validation of assessment tools. It is the third part of my interview with David Cook, who is a professor of medicine and medical education at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science in Rochester, Minnesota, where he is also the director of research in the Office of Applied Scholarship and Education Science. In this part of the interview, Dr. Cook talks about a variety of statistical tests and when they should be used. This is the heaviest part of the interview, and so I have two pieces of advice to start with. Firstly, if you are looking for an introduction to assessment validity, I'd encourage you to go back to the earlier podcasts in this series. Secondly, I encourage you whenever possible to involve a statistician in your medical education research, because, as you will hear, it can be challenging to know which is the correct test to use for which data. Okay, so the other thing that I was really um, eager to ask you about is about um, which statistical tools should be used for different measures of reliability. Um, I think that this is an area where um, I feel like I need a statistician to help me. And a lot of the time when I'm reading articles, I have to sort of really take the authors at their word that they've chosen the right tool. Um, and having a little introduction to that from someone with uh, much greater knowledge such as yourself would be really helpful. Um, so if you could give me your thoughts on you know, which tools should be used for which items in, uh, in thinking about reliability of tools. Well, you're you're far too kind and generous in uh, what you say about me personally, but I'll I'll be happy to take a crack at this. So when I think about reliability, I use the term interchangeably with the word reproducibility. In other words, would I get the same result if I gave the same test after something has changed? And the key here is to think through what has changed between the first and second administration. Uh, so, you know, obviously there's going to be a, perhaps a difference in learners. And in fact, that's the whole point is that we want to tell if there's a difference from one learner to the next. So that doesn't factor into the reliability directly. But some other things that would change would hopefully be irrelevant in the results that we obtain. For example, we might have different raters. Dr. Jones might uh, do the observation on Monday and Dr. Smith might do the observation on Tuesday. So there's been a change in the raters. So we could look at inter-rater reliability. Uh, we might have 20 items on a multiple choice test and each of those items might be a little bit more or a little bit less difficult or there might be different domains of knowledge that are assessed with each item. So we can look at the reliability across items because the items are changing. There might be multiple sta stations or or cases in an OSCE or a simulation exam, uh, there might be a change in time. We might do the test on Monday and then give it again the following Monday. Uh, or there might be even a change in the test itself. We know for national boards that they have multiple different versions of the test that are given to different individuals so that it's not as easy to cheat. And so how do we know that the form that I got is the same difficulty as the form that you got? And so that has changed because the form has changed. For each of these different types of change, the learners, the raters, the items, the stations, the cases, the time, or the test form, we have uh, come up with special names, inter-rater reliability, inter-item con consistency or internal consistency, test-retest reliability, parallel form reliability. And it's great to use those terms, but at the end of the day, what really matters is to conceptually understand what has changed. Now, when you talk about the specific statistical tests, 
I guess I would first recommend that people who need a statistician go find a statistician. Don't try to do this on your own because you can get into trouble with statistical tests. But when you show up in the statistician's office, it's helpful if you have a reasonably good understanding of what you're asking for. And in, to this end, I, I'll just harp on one specific type of uh, test that creates confusion for authors and therefore creates confusion down the road with readers. And that is the interclass correlation coefficient in its various different forms. Now, by convention, we use specific tests for different types of reliability. We usually use kappa when talking about inter-rater reliability. We usually use Cronbach's alpha when talking about internal consistency or the inter-item reliability across the different items on a multiple choice test or a survey. Now, we just do that by convention, but it does make some sense because kappa refers to a single item or single rater. So when we look at inter-rater reliability, what we really want to know is if I have a single rater look at this student, how reliable is that one rater's uh, rating? Whereas when we do a multiple choice test with 20 items, we usually want to know how reliable is this test when I take all 20 items together. And so CAPA is designed for a single item or rater, and Cronbach's Alpha is designed for all of the items uh, taken together. Now, it's not wrong to use Cronbach's uh, Alpha to look at inter-rater reliability, but if you have five raters, that's going to give you a very different number than if you had a single rater or two raters, or ten raters. And so in that context, if people are expecting to see inter-rater reliability for a single rater, but you tell them the number for five raters, your number is going to be different than what they are expecting. And unless you tell them very clearly what you're giving them, they'll misinterpret the results. We know that the more items, the more raters, the more, more questions, the more stations you have, the higher the reliability. So if I'm expecting to see a kappa for one rater and you give me a Cronbach's alpha for five raters, the number that you give me is much higher than I should really be expecting, and I will think that your results are far better than they actually are. If you instead gave me the, the uh, reliability reduced back to that of a single rater, your number would be much lower, and then that would be a more, uh, more what I was expecting to see. Now, sometimes you'll read in the literature about the interclass correlation coefficient. The problem with that is that there are actually six different interclass correlation coefficients. Kappa and Cronbach's alpha happen to be two of them. So just because someone uses the interclass correlation coefficient doesn't tell me precisely uh, what's going on in the study. Uh, it's helpful then as an investigator to say I used a single item or a single rater interclass correlation coefficient or we used the interclass correlation coefficient for all 20 items together uh, is the easiest way to do it for readers to understand. There's some mathematical notations that you can use instead, but readers may not be familiar with those. So the bottom line, as an investigator, keep it straight to tell the readers what you're giving them. By convention, we use kappa, or the single rater interclass correlation coefficient uh, for inter-rater reliability. By convention, we use Cronbach's alpha, or the multi-item interclass correlation coefficient for multiple choice questions and surveys. You're welcome to break with 
convention or tradition if you wish, but it's at your own risk, and most importantly, you have to tell the reader exactly what you're doing and perhaps even justify why. Does yeah. that make any um, sense? <laughs> um, I, I think it's uh, an area that it, it always, uh, all of these things make a lot more sense when you actually see them in, a, in an article. So if um, I'd encourage the audience, if they're uh, finding this to be a little bit of the alphabet soup of statistical tests, then have a look back at the, the latest article that they read about, which talked about validating a tool and having some um, reliability measures and, and see which one was picked. Um, uh, and then have a think about, do you, the, the audience, understand what, which tool was picked and why? Um, so I, I think this also emphasized um, a point which came up before, the idea that you should probably, before you start testing your instrument, um, think about which measures of reliability you want to assess and which statistical test are you going to use for that and decide it in advance and decide what you know, cutoff would be acceptable um, and then work out the uh, study needed to be done. Precisely. Um, all right. Well, as I said, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Cook. Um, I really appreciate um, getting the opportunity to discuss um, uh, this, this topic with you. Um, and uh, I hope that we get to um, talk again at some point. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Have a great day. To conclude, I'd just like to repeat my thanks to Dr. Cook for his time. His talks and papers have been invaluable in helping me understand this topic. If you are interested to learn more about this topic, I'll list some useful papers on the ATS section of Medical Education podcast webpage. Thanks very much for listening.